0: verse 30. How many are happy being be in God's house today? Amen. The band did amazing. Can we give it up for the band and the singers today? It was one of my favorite. I just have to be honest. It was powerful. I almost just wanted to keep worshiping with them, so I'm tempted to go back to singing. Today's message is going to be on loving God. We started the year Learning about the vision of the church, the things that we value the most here. And I've been helping you apply these principles to your everyday life. How many have seen that application? Amen. We talked about applying vision to your life. How many have seen that in this year? You're applying vision. Anybody have vision for 24? Amen. And we're talking about how to prioritize the things that are most important in our lives. Well, one of the things that the Bible emphasizes over and over and over again is that God loves us, and in response to God's love, we are to love him. So notice this in Mark 12, verse 30. Jesus is being asked, what are, or rather, what is the greatest commandment? And then he's going to give the greatest commandments, plural. Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and all your strength. Everybody say this with me. I will love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my mind, and with all my strength. Amen. Thank you. Now, moving on down to the next verse. He then added to that, love your neighbor as yourself. And we'll get into that in the weeks coming by God's grace. I want you to think about those things that we talked about before our baptism service that we love God with. We love God with our heart. That is the emotional center of our inner being. We love God with our emotions. We are not afraid to cry. We are not afraid to raise our hands, jump, dance, shout. How many get excited with Jesus? How many are touched in your emotions by Jesus? How many know he'll pick different times of your life to touch those emotions? Sometimes, hallelujah, they can be random. I've had God touch my emotions in random times, man, and it feels so right to let it go, but it's like gas. You hold it in and it hurts, but you just got to let it go. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You just try to hold it in and you don't want to let anybody see you do this, but I'm telling you, it hurts the more you hold it in. You just got to let it out because God's touching your heart. We also love God with our soul. I believe that the soul in this passage is describing the will, the volition, That which we decide to do, the human soul is what makes us unique among all creation. It's what God gave Adam and Eve with that breath of life to choose between good and evil. And sadly, they chose to eat of the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life. And so by choosing the knowledge of good and evil, that in itself was evil. They were not supposed to be the ones who discovered good and evil on their own. They were to trust God in his goodness of life and then learn evil from there. Can I hear an amen to that? That will explain a lot of the suffering in this world. If you can just understand how God gave them a soul with volition, with choice, with freedom will, and because they chose wrongly, we brought upon ourselves the suffering that is here today. And what Jesus is reiterating here from the commands of the Old Testament is to love God with all your will. So you can't just be a Christian because your parents were Christians. Now, we believe parents should bring their kids to church, just like, you know, kids are brought to school by their parents. And they're brought to, you know, other things that help them, their sports and so forth. But parents cannot force the love of God upon their children. Can I get an amen for some parents here? You can't force that. You can only lead them to that. And as I say to my children all the time, a bit sassy, they can go to hell if they want, but I want them to come to heaven with me. Okay, they can go to hell with the devil. That's totally up to them. I cannot love them more than God loves them, and God gave them a choice. God gave them the choice to not be with him. So I can't manipulate my children and do something against their free will beyond what God is doing. God is allowing them to go to hell. Does everybody get that? So if God allows them to go to hell, I'll allow you to go to hell. I'm not locking you in the house. I'm not going to be a Muslim and try to kill you because you lost your faith, which, by the way, that just came up again in the news, an honor killing of a girl. Her father wanted to kill her because she became a Christian. This happens continually in those countries. It's also happened in places like India. And I'm not saying Christians haven't misbehaved in the past, but that's not based on our text, but these things are based on their text. Apostasy is a death penalty in Islam. Christianity does not enforce an apostasy law because you can go to hell if you want. But Bible teaches us when you yield your soul to the things of God, when you freely choose God, he will fill the the hole in your soul in a way that you never could do. How many have had a hole in their soul before that God filled? I mean, if you relate to that, you know what I'm talking about. So the idea is you'll never be truly satisfied with uh, your life, with your inner person, until you yield your will to God. And when we look at Jesus coming in the flesh, remember God put on an earth suit like you guys got dressed this morning and put on a suit of clothes. Jesus put his divine nature into the suit of humanity, and there uh, at this time of prayer before crucifixion, he said to the Father, not my will, but your will be done, coming from his soul, okay? And we're not seeing. The divine Son of God differ with the divine Father. We're not seeing a division there. What we're seeing is humanity's will against the will of God. So there were two places in a garden where wills were battled for, and one place the will lost the battle to sin, and another one won. In the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve lost the battle of the will and fell to the temptation of the devil. How many know that's true? And as true as as that, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane won the battle of the will, submitting his will. To the Father. So we love God with our soul. And I love what C.S. Lewis said that on the day of judgment, everyone gets what they truly wanted. So God will say to the one that rejected him, Not my will, but your will be done. Depart from my presence. That's what your will wanted. You wanted that. So not my will, because the Bible says God so loved the world that he sent his son. So it's not God's will. He says back to them, Your will be done, not my will, and depart from me. But then those of us who have accepted Christ willingly, who have submitted their wills to the Father, then on judgment day, we say to Jesus, not my will, but your will be done. And he brings us into the eternal reward. Do you ever, do you see there that at the center is the will, the human will? And then we see to love God with all of your mind. Everybody say, my thinker. What are you thinking about right now? All of our thoughts should be filtered through the things of God. Think of your faucet. Your faucet has a filter on it. And that filter is there to keep out all of the junk as the water flows through. Now, thank- thankfully, we have a good enough water filtration system before it even gets to our faucet. But also, if you look at that filter from time to time, you'll see some buildup there. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Oh, and by the way, we have a plumber in the church, Andrew Sayansky, who fixed the plumbing of this church. Can we give it up for Brother Andrew, thank you for doing that for us. Amazing. But he'll tell you, buildup happens in those filters from the different minerals, and I'm thankful that that filter is there. Every thought that we have should be filtered through the Father's love for us and the plan that Jesus Christ has for us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Your mind should be thinking on the things of God when you're thinking about everything else. When you're thinking about your job, you should be thinking about God in your job. When you're thinking about your marriage and your family, you should be thinking your thoughts after the thoughts of God. How does God want me to be a husband? How does God want me to be a wife? How does God want me to be a son or a daughter? How does God want me to be a citizen of this nation? How does God want me to participate in my community and to be a blessing to this church? Everybody say this with me. Thinking after the thoughts of God. So we love God with our mind. Christianity is not a religion of make-believe. Christianity is not based on setting aside your mind. But what we have to understand is that God's mind, God's thoughts are above our thoughts. So we try to ascend to them, though we may not always understand them in our time frame. We will one day, and we trust him with the unknown. Can I hear an amen to mystery? And everybody lives with mystery. We've talked about this before. Somebody says, I don't believe in God, I believe in science. And then we say back to them, I believe in science because I believe in what? God. God is the God of science. If you don't have God, how do you have science? And so they have a mystery there. Why do chemicals in our brain correspond to mathematical formulas that are yet to even be discovered in the world? Do you understand that? We don't invent math, we discover math. Does everybody understand that? Use your mind while I'm talking so you can understand what I'm trying to help you understand. Sir Isaac Newton did not invent gravity. He discovered it. Are you listening? It was already there. And so it is true not only in that place, but in all places of life. This technology for the phone was here 2,000 years ago. We discovered it in the present, but it was already there. The knowledge of God is around us right now waiting to be discovered. There is no scientific endeavor that is ever done outside of the mind of God. Chemicals don't do science. Your brain is more than chemicals. It is a mind. Your mind is not your brain. Your brain will die. Your brain will turn to dust, but your mind is a spiritual component of who you are on your inner person, and it will live beyond your body. And that's why your mind comprehends things your brain never could comprehend. Your brain has a sex drive, but your mind understands love. How many know your body has a sex drive driven by your instincts in the brain right now? But how many know there's a difference between that and love? The chemicals in your brain do not understand love, but how many here love themselves some loves? I love love. The Bible talks about loving God with all your mind, and then lastly, with all of your strength. Christianity is not weakness. It is meekness. It requires the greatest inner strength you will ever have in your life. It causes every single person to fall to their knees and realize they can't, but God only can. After the disciples understood what salvation was, they rightly said back to Jesus, This is impossible. Who can do it? It was after the rich man was told to sell everything that he has and to follow Jesus, and this uh, discouraged him, and he walked away sad, and the disciples just realized the cost of serving Jesus is the same for everybody. It's a call to come and die so that you might live. It is a denial of self. Not in the sense of the Buddhist or the Hindu or the Eastern religion. To deny self to find yourself. That's not the call of Christianity. It is a true death to never resurrect, to only now be found with the God self, the image that God imprinted in you. Where self-help and goat yoga is always centered on denying something you don't like to get what you really like. Christianity has nothing to do with your likes, your wants, your pleasures. It is to God be the glory alone through Christ alone. And yet in that place of self-denial, in other words, spiritual suicide, in that place is the greatest life, and hence the reason for so much physical suicide, because people want to die and get away from themselves, and they've tried everything, and they don't understand that it's really spiritual suicide, they're thinking, to die to their wants, their hopes, their dreams, their pleasures, their pains, and to see Christ as all in all. And So the Bible says that in and of itself is the greatest strength known to humanity, to love your enemy as yourself. Just this past weekend, we were out at the abortion clinic preaching the gospel, and without fail, their side, the pro-choice side, the pro-murder side, cannot rationally discuss with us their differences. They have to insult. They have to threaten. And in one conversation, the man left, and he said, I wish your mom would have aborted you. That was his argument back to me. When he had failed in reason to be able to distinguish between a living body within the woman not being the body of the woman. When he failed to distinguish the scientific backing that life begins at conception, that unique DNA is given. When he failed to understand that, he wished upon me murder. And yet, not only out of my mouth, but out of the brothers standing next to me. We wished blessings upon him in the name of Jesus and said, we'll be praying for you. And then I looked at the workers there and I said to them, do you see a difference? Do you see a difference? Your side wishes death upon me because that is the way of their master. The way of the devil only loves their own kind. The way of the devil only loves those who do good for them. But my master, Jesus, taught me a greater way. A way that does not come from human strength. It only comes from the divine love on the inside. It cannot be done in the flesh. It cannot be done merely by willpower of the human effort. It must be the greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. And I said, do you see the difference? You are our friends even though we consider you murderers. You are our neighbors and we wish the best for you even though we disagree. And we don't speak hate to you. We speak love and forgiveness. Tell me something that takes greater strength than that. It's easy to hate your enemy. It's easy to do to others what they've done to you. And yet Jesus called us to love God with all of our strength. It takes strength to keep the commands of God. When you have the inner battle of your temptation and the things that your flesh will desire, and for you to say no to those things and to say yes to Jesus Christ, that takes strength. To say yes to holiness to piety, to purity. I was listening, or rather I was reading the comments under our social media, and I thank these brothers for what they do. Can we give it up for our brothers who help us on social media? Brother Logan as well for making this video. Yeah, we're kind of Facebook, YouTube famous, right? We have some followers on Instagram because of these things these brothers do. And I was reading under one of the posts of me preaching and somebody was saying, I don't want to hear from this man talk about God unless he has a suit or unless he's dressed nicely and so forth. And then I said, what do you want me to dress up like mother and you call me father? Is that what it takes for me now to have the authority of the word of God? But you see in our culture, we're deceived of what holiness is. We think holiness is merely, merely external, something that you can just point on the outside and say, oh, I can tell, that's a nun, she's holy, or I can tell that's a priest, they're holy, not knowing what's going on in their heart. Jesus looked to people of that day, the most holiest people of that day, what would be like the, the priests, the popes, the cardinals, and he said, they are like whitewashed tombs. They look great on the outside, but on the inside, they're full of dead men's bones. We never claim to be the only church. We never claim to be the only ones pursuing holiness. But it is hard to find churches today in this city and around this country that value holiness in the life of the believer and to develop the inner strength to have self-discipline to overcome their flesh. One brother was telling me how amazing he's doing at the church that he's now attending. And I don't wish to be jealous, but I want to ask. I wonder if you're doing so amazing because nobody asks you personally about your marriage. Nobody's asking you about your personal piety that you have left accountability and have found your safety in hiding. I wonder how many people think today I have accomplished all that God has for me in my inner life simply because the people around me approve of me. This is the same kind of fallacy for those that now approve of the homosexual lifestyle and tell people Jesus loves you just the way you are. Of course we could say that. I could say that to any sinner here today. But it's more than just Jesus loving you the way you are, but too much to let you stay that way. Who cares enough about you to get into the life that you are now in and temptation to help bring you out? Holiness requires strength. I think about all of my friends who have lost their testimonies and still now want to pretend that they're just the same as me because they got to wipe their hands on the forgiveness rag of Jesus. There's no humility. There's no transformation. Their children have now lost the marriage that should have been a stability for them, and they now just simply want to tell me, but God forgives. Well, what about the marriage that you threw in the garbage, sir? What about the lack of testimony now you have among your children and your culture? You are now just a statistic of failure like everybody else. Oh, to God that people would fear the Lord again and see it in our lives. That our marriages are not like their marriages. Our children are not like their children. We do not talk like them. We do not laugh like them. We love God with all of our strength both inward and outward to show because our God is holy. We are holy. Holiness requires an inner strength that only God can give, and yet it comes through love. We love God with all of our heart. Everybody say this with me. I love God with all of my heart, with all of my soul, with all of my mind, and with all my strength. Amen. Would you go to the next slide, please? I want you to see this. Look at your neighbor and say, this is the introduction. Amen. I have a whole message to preach to you. We're not to the message yet. Please be patient with me. When we talk about loving God in the practical ways, our church wants to make it obvious to you so that you can't, uh, you know, say, I'm confused. I want my children to understand. I want you to understand. What does it look like in a day-to-day life? It looks like you worshiping God. The Bible says in John 4, 23, that God is spirit and that those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Let's turn there, John 4, 23, just so you can see it in its own uh, context there in the red letters of Jesus. The Christian who loves God worships God. The song of God is in their heart and soul. They give their life to this purpose of serving God. Worship has two meanings in the scripture. It's something that you do in service to God and it's also someone of who you are as a worshiper as you give your all to God. In other words, Putting songs and music and other things like that to worship is secondarily and further down the road, first and primarily of worship, literally means service. When the priests would worship God, it wasn't that they were just singing songs the whole time, their life was a song, as it were, to God. When they were in the temple doing the different things God required, that was their song to God. In Him we live and move and have our being the movements of your life, the rhythms of your life is supposed to produce a sound to God that is pleasing. How we live matters to God. And so this woman is asking, the woman at the well, you can read about it further on your time in John 4, she's now been rocked by the insight that Jesus has for her, the prophetic nature that he has for her. He's exposed her sin, she's hooking up, she has baby daddies, she's not living right, and yes, Jesus loves her the way she is, but too much to let her be that way. And so now her conscience is awakened to the things of God, and so now she says, where do we worship God, if we could just scroll up a little bit. So she's under this Old Testament mindset, that there must be a place to worship God. Where do we go? Go up a little bit more, please. To Samaria? Or do we go here to Jerusalem? And what does Jesus say? Woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Help me preach, brother. Verse 22. But you must understand that God is looking for worshipers who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. For God is the Father who is spirit and in truth. Can I hear an amen to that? You don't know what to worship, so you put your mind towards religious worship. You need to know who... You're worshiping, and he's the person of the Father through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. Highlight the please uh, for them here in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth is the way we worship God. Your life is a song. Your life is a service. Your life is devoted to the magnification. Everybody understand this. Your life is devoted to the magnification of who God is. You magnify God on your job. You magnify. You make the name of Jesus big in your life. That's literally what it means when it talks about glorifying God. You are putting a magnification on the person of God where His name is made great among the people, where His presence is now visibly felt. As I've shared with you before, even being on my hobbies, wakeboarding, Talking with the young lady next to me reminds me of the woman at the well. Here we are talking about her former relationship and how it's fallen to pieces. And she's now in her 30s. And she's realizing that relationships break as fast as they come. She is now in a cycle of defeat. She's having insecurities. Who loves me? Who wants me? Will it always be like this? And then I begin to share with her the value that God has towards her and the love that God gives her. And then tears begin to stream down her face there, right in front of the wakeboarding cable while we hold on and go wakeboarding. And she says, thank you. I feel God. I feel the presence of what you're talking about. I feel better. Of course, God is more than feelings. But the presence of God is real. The spirit of God is real. And his worshipers magnify him. Worshippers magnifying. whether we're at the gym talking to someone in uh, the, the hot tub there, a Muslim man that is now on his, what, fourth marriage, brother, and, and we're sitting next to each other, me and Victor are hearing this man, and I'm nudging him because it's like it's time to preach. He may think worshiping God is bowing down towards a stone in Mecca at the Kaaba, but that is not worship. Worship was happening in that hot tub because two or three were gathered in the name of Jesus. And we were loving his soul in the name of Jesus. And though his religion wanted to give him defenses against the love of God because he felt as if he didn't need it, it was truly the answer to his brokenness. How often have we ran from the love of God thinking that's not what we need, and we run into the love of the world, and then we get more hurt, more, more busted and disgusted? How often have we done that to then turn our backs and blame God for the problems that we have? When it was God reaching out to us the whole time, when it was God holding out his hand, when it was God that was calling us, we love God in our worship. And then we love God in keeping of His commands. Worship is just not ethereal. It's just not something that we do to make ourselves feel better. Even with that woman, as I shared with you, as I testified to her, I then had to teach her the commands, and I tagged her in an Instagram post, and I started sending her scriptures, and that's when the conversation went dark, if you know what I'm saying. It disappeared. Go to John chapter 14, verse 15, Jesus speaking, If you love me, you will keep my commands. The love of God in our worship is more than just a feeling. Yes, there is the feeling of God. How many felt the feeling of God before? Like, I know God loves me. That's what drew me to the Lord at the kitchen table when I was 18 years old. That's when I got saved in 95. But then that love that I had for God needed to go beyond those feelings and go to the everyday life of this 18-year-old. The commands of God needed to now become the Models of my life. Commands are not suggestions. They're God's way of guiding our life. When we say to others, don't judge me, what we're basically saying is, I want to leave this area of my life alone. But true brothers and sisters, when they feel conviction, they say, thank you for offering me something that will change me. Thank you for your love for my life. They don't see it as judgment, They see it as someone's care and concern. How many people, even in a church like this, will get offended and bothered and then call you up and say, it's because of this reason, it's because of that reason that I have to leave, when truly it's their sin. It's their lack of ability to keep God's commands, and they don't want to be told that anymore. I know so often people have said to me, oh, no, they left the church for these reasons. And then I say, well, did they tell you about this? Did they tell you about, oh, no, no, they didn't tell me about that. Well, then all they're doing is using their feelings of offense to get away from the accountability that is in their lives. Think about it, brothers and sisters. We grow up in a fatherless generation. How little do we know about a godly, earthly father, let alone the God, the Father who created us? Most people today don't know what it's like to be spanked, don't know what it's like to be told no. I love what an old pastor told me. I said, what advice can you give me? He said, here, I'll give you some great advice that I've learned throughout the years. The people of your church will always love you until you tell them no. Pastor, can we do this outreach? Yes. Oh, we love you. Pastor, can we have the building for this uh, worship band thing we're going to Yes. Uh, pastor, can we uh, get some money from the budget to go do this thing? Yes. Pastor, can we do this? No. We don't love him. We don't, he's a meanie. He told me no. But those of us who have grown up with godly fathers see the love of God in knows knows mean just as much of yeses when they care for you. I'm glad I had a godly father that said no to sleepovers at friends he didn't feel comfortable with, noes to hanging out with others that he didn't feel comfortable with, noes to hobbies, music, and to different things because he knew that these things would be the very detriment to my soul. And when I finally did hang out with friends I wasn't supposed to, and I finally did spend the night at friends' houses I wasn't supposed to, those were the very doors that opened up my life to the, the hideous sinner that I became. Most people just think Jesus is a genie that comes through their Bible and the memes that they find online. I always used to tease the young ladies of the church. I don't do so anymore, but I always appreciate when there's that now kind of gray area when they go from putting up their uh, thirst pictures to now a thirst picture with a Bible verse. Before Christ on Instagram, it was just thirst. popping that booty. Check me out. And then now with Jesus, it's popping that booty, check me out, I'm a daughter of a king. (laughs) There's always that transition, isn't there? Before then, they could just take a picture and be like, hello, I'm a daughter of a king. But there has to be kind of like that gray area as they turn from evil to good, as they transform from a uh, a caterpillar to a butterfly. Loving God means you love his commands. Why would we ever say we love someone without doing the things they ask us to do? What kind of hypocrisy is that? Why would we ever think that to work? I'm thinking about the relationships that I'm in with you. Why would you love me as a friend if I didn't do the kinds of things that you like, that you honored, that you respected? What if you were a vegan and I said, I want you to come over to my barbecue? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Would you love me for that? Hey, let's invite the vegan to our barbecue, But I've had people, I'm telling you, leave Christianity or leave this church and then tell me, I don't have friends anymore at the church. You guys are so superficial. And I'm like, Bubba, it's because you're a wicked sinner now. You're living like a sinner. They don't want to hang out with you as you go sin. You want to live in sin. You want to get drunk. You want to go do this. And then you just want to hang out with your same Christian friends. Your worldly friends don't even do that. I'm being honest with you, your world, I remember my worldly friends ditching me in my life because of a lot less. Worldly friends come and go, my, my, my friends here. Most people you have ever called a friend are a fair weather friend. All it takes is one gossip and they'll be out of your life. All it takes is one offense and they'll be gone. Don't tell me your life is not like that because I've known so many of you throughout the years. And I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen in my own life. And yet a true friend will tell you when you're breaking the commands of God. A true friend cares about you following Jesus. Now I know so often Christians argue over what are the commands of God. That's why I'll show them to you quickly. Galatians chapter 5 verse 19 for the Christian are clear. Paul reiterates them from what he got from the lessons of Jesus in the Old Testament. The morals of God don't change. Though the culture of people changes over time. Our sexuality is not a culture so that doesn't change sexuality is immoral. Can I hear an amen to that? Amen. Sexuality is immoral. It's not a mere cultural thing. In the 60s, they said, oh, it's merely cultural that we have to have sex and marriage. So they brought about the sexual revolution, free love. That's not merely a cultural thing. That's a moral thing. That was the beginning of the degradation of the heterosexual family. And then once the heterosexual family is gone, anything goes. And as we said before, homosexuality is the door that opens to much more darker things. And everybody laughed at us. See, many of you were not even Christians in the 90s. I was a Christian. And I remember the homosexuals that I would speak to, and I love them, and I spent time with them. And they can still be my friend if they still uh, want to hear me tell them they're sinners. But listen, I would spend time with them, take them out to eat so they could hear the gospel. And this is what they would tell me. You guys think we have a gay agenda? I don't have a gay agenda. I'm just gay, and the only agenda I have is getting coffee this morning. That's what they would tell me, and it would be a joke. And I would say, I understand. I understand you personally don't have some big agenda. But the movement that you're a part of has an agenda. It's been written down. It's been specified by people who have a cultural uh, moment now to change the world in their image, and they want it to look rainbow. Rainbow. And they would say back to me, no, you're just an alarmist. I wish I could get those friends here now. I'm telling you. They would say, you're just an alarmist. And I would say, no, I'm not. I said, right behind the door of this is transgenderism, not knowing a gender. Right behind the door of this is polyamory and polygamy, having multiple partners, things that on YouTube and, or at that time in TV used to be something that would be considered strange. You would watch Mori Povich for this stuff or Jerry Springer, but you would know that this was on the outskirts of society. Are you listening to me? And they said, no, 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 of course it won't go in that direction. And what was once in the closet came out of the closet, and now they want to push us back into the closet, right? But then we say to them, as we say now, this will not stop merely with adults. It will go to children, and now we see them indoctrinating children. And then we say the very things that come next in the same verses are towards animals. And now they mock us towards that, and yet Vice went to Latin America to highlight men having sex with animals to try to normalize it. Look at Vice's documentary on men having sex with their animals in Latin America. And then now the the fur movement or whatever they call that, where they pretend to be animals, they pretend to be birds, they pretend to be these things so that they can encourage bestiality. My friends, this is obvious to anyone that has a conscience and is filtering their thoughts through the word of God. This is a deception birthed in the pits of hell propagated by demons to deceive God's people. Get woke to the things of God, and Christ's truth will shine on you. And once again, this is why this church, and I still stand by it, by percentage, has more of the LGBTQA plus community than any other church that I know of in this city that has come and been born again. Last time I did the numbers when I was looking at our church, somewhere around 10% of our church has come from that lifestyle and has been baptized, like the folks you just saw, there's some even confessing it in that baptismal tank. Can I hear an amen? Amen. Because being soft on anyone's sin is not a favor to them. It is not a favor to be soft on sin, but to tell the one you love, this is what will destroy you. And I plead with you to not lower your standard, though I know some of you are wrestling this with your children. We are praying for you as Christians. Do not force your will upon them, guard them, but understand God is with you. Can I hear an amen to that? Notice what the Bible says, the acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery. These are the obvious things. These are the things that we do and do not according to the things of God. We do sexuality right and we do not violate uh, God's command into immorality, impurity. Why? Because we love God. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, which also has the word pharmakia in the Greek, the uh, drugs and the seances, the things that come a part of a witchcraft that now we do for recreation, not medicine, but for recreation is also included in witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, which I also would talk to my friends about. And I said, you guys are going to be promoting orgies before you know it. No, 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 we just want to have same-sex unions and all of this. And still to this day, look it up, the average sexual partner of a homosexual to a heterosexual. Now that same-sex marriage has been legal for, what is it, almost 10, 15 years, they are still, I guess, three to five times greater in numbers of partners than heterosexuals. And they still lead in the most STDs. What happened to your vision of my two dads? No, you're still wiling out because it's based in perversion and it will always have perversion at its root and in the majority of those in that movement. Can I hear an amen if you have a heart for them? It's the truth. They are overtaken by their sin. Orgies, now notice, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. Do I see here the kind of music I'm supposed to listen to? No, do I see here the way a woman is supposed to dress, whether she has to wear a skirt or a, uh, you know, a long, whatever these things are, jean dress that some of these Pentecostal women wear? I mean, I'm happy for them. You know, I'm, I, I guess you want to rock that in 90-degree weather. You know what I'm saying? But it's like, does it say that there? No, I was talking to one of our brothers, and he, his pastor now wants to forbid wearing earrings. And I'm like, where did you get that from? And he's like, not the Bible. So he started telling me that his pastor is concerned about in culture how earrings have represented paganism. So that's got to be a fun church to attend. <laughs> Ladies, take out your earrings. You remind me of the pagans. I mean, if we're going to go down that route, I mean, wouldn't everything we wear in one sense remind others of paganism? I mean, what are you going to be doing wearing a, 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 um, a vine around you like Adam and Eve, basically walking naked throughout the world because you don't want to remind anybody of paganism? I'm serious. Some people won't even wear Nike. Oh, that's a, that's a pagan symbol. I understand. Some of you don't want to drink monster drink. I don't drink any of those things. Uh, could you imagine me caffeinated? Just think about that. For This is non-caffeinated Joe. Imagine energy drink Joe. <laughs> By God's grace, that would be a sight to see. Somebody slips it in one day to me. Ah! It would be funny if I could actually chills me out. I'm like, yo, what's up, guys? How you guys doing? I don't know why I'm so chill right now. But listen, I, you know, I don't want to drink monster drink because the three slashes upside down look like 666. You can be as weirdy and as conspiracy as you want, and maybe it's even true. But the point is, is there any mention of that here? No, the simple... Gospel, the commands of the Lord teach us the obvious commands. In other words, God doesn't want you to miss it. He doesn't want you to miss it by saying, "Man, I didn't know. I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do this." God, I didn't know. No, these things are in your heart. Like how many know people in a jungle are just as smart as us, and we're just as smart as them? How many know that? How many know if you have an orgy in a jungle, they know that's crazy. I don't care. Well, there's tribes out there that do. They know what they're doing. They know in that moment after they have done that, they don't know whose baby is going to be in the woman's womb. Are you all listening to me? They know that they now don't know how to raise that child with a mother and a father because of the craziness that they just did. Let's not think to ourselves that there's anybody out there in this world that doesn't understand selfish ambition is wrong. I don't care where you live, what time frame you have ever been in on this planet, whether it's the 1500s, the 1300s, the 100 B.C., it doesn't matter where you've been. People around you will tell you if you're in pride. People around you will say, man, you're doing this only for you. How many know that? How many know sinners even know this? I said, how many know sinners even know this? But they still do it knowing that there's something that they get out of it. How many know we knew these things were wrong, but we still did it? The Bible says that the reason why the sinners do this and the, way, and the reason why we did it is because we wanted to pretend as if we didn't know God. We wanted to pretend as if God wasn't in the world. We wanted to pretend like let's do this on our own and let's hide from him. But the Bible is very clear that he sees all. Can I hear an amen to them? Amen. Look at your neighbor and say, let's get to the message now. Amen. How can we do such a thing? Isn't this now a great task before us? I said, isn't this a great task that's before us? You have just been given the most impossible task on this planet. Worship God with everything you have. Love him. Put him first. Keep his commands. Don't violate any of these things. How many know there's now a lot of us going, I can't do that on my own? So now you need the love of God to help you love him. The best example that I like to give is when it's Mother's Day Or, you know, uh, Valentine's Day or some type of, of time of the year when my wife wants me to go buy her gifts with the children. When I take out the children, how many know they don't have any money of their own? But I give them the money so that what? They can spend that money on their mom. If then my children took that money, spent it on themselves, how many now know I would be upset about that? Here, I gave you this money. It was meant for your mom. And you spent it on yourself. That's obviously wrong. Everybody gets that, right? God gives us love itself, and then we waste it on everything else except for Him. Let that sink in for a few moments. God gives us love, and then we waste it on the Super Bowl. I love the Super Bowl! You love men in tights playing with balls. That's what you love. Think about that. Men in their tights and their balls. That's what you love. Same thing, guys. Let's just be honest. Same thing. I don't care if it's rugby. I don't care what it is. You love men and their balls. The ball going through the net, the ball going through the hoop, the ball, men and their balls. Do you love that? How much do you love that? You see how it humbles a man when he hears this in a church like this? Because now he realizes, like, well, yeah, I mean, I guess I don't really love Michael Jordan and his balls that way. I'm not real, and somebody might be like, oh, I love Michael Jordan and his ball. Well, listen, you have the other problem we were talking about. But listen, but if you talk to most men, most, most uh, masculine men or women, whatever, you know, who love what they love, they're going to they're gonna have to think about it now and go, man, do I really love that person? When I say, I love that person. I love that. So you love leather? You love what comes from a cow? You, you, love, you, love, you love these things? This is what you love? You're wasting your love. It's not that when you don't love God, you stop loving. No, you love something else instead of God. It's not as if when you don't worship God, you don't worship something else. Uh, you don't worship anything. No, you worship something else. you know who has said this? Russell Brand. How many know who Russell Brand is? That, that English comedian that was dating Katy Perry for a while. You'll be surprised at what I know. Oh, come on. Pastor, like, on top of stuff. Yes. Do you know that Russell Brand is now claiming Christianity? And if you listen to his TikTok or his YouTube or whatever it comes up, he's actually making that as an argument now. That it's not that when I stopped worshiping God or believing in the God I was raised to believe it, it's not that I just stopped being a worshiper. I worshiped something else. Something else that's much cheaper. Something else that's much more dirtier. Something else that doesn't satisfy me the same way. Now into honesty to why men like other men playing with their balls and and putting them in hoops and stuff. The reason why that's liked is because it gives us adrenaline. And we feel a sense, men, of our heartbeat increasing and a sense of companionship. It's our fight or flight instinct that's coming forth. And that's why we like it. And I'm not saying I'm any good at it. I'm just saying that's why we like it. Can I hear an amen from men that like to shout and be manly? Come on, men. That's why we like it. That's why we like watching other men beat each other up. That's why we like watching them throw their balls around all of that. That's why we like it. But here's the thing. Your adrenaline, your adrenal gland, that thing that spikes your heart rate, is not your God. Your adrenaline is not your God. Your masculinity is not your God. Your muscles are not your God. One of the things that I'm so uh, thankful for is that people who have been in the bodybuilding industry are now exposing and publicly doing so what it did and what it took out of their body. How many know who Ronnie Coleman is? Multiple time, Mr. Universe did not hide himself when he had to go to a wheelchair, but now still puts himself in public to show people what it takes to have what he had did and to do what he did with his muscles. And now, brothers and sisters, I want to ask you, and I almost wish that we could put it up here, do you still idolize this man? There's your hero, chicken-legged and in a wheelchair. My daughter could outrun him and outperform him now probably. Why? Because the strength of men, all men, it doesn't matter who they are, the strength of men is like vapor here today and gone tomorrow. The beauty, listen to me, sisters, the beauty of all women is like the flower of the field here today and gone tomorrow. It's all vanity. We hold on to our adrenaline. We hold on to our stories. We live them vicariously now through our heroes. And we think that somehow this will satisfy our soul and it leaves us empty. Christianity is not based on your performances. Even here in a church like us, we can get the adrenaline rush from preaching and become addicted to going out in public and being persecuted because we feel like now we are in a battle. And yet Christianity is more than our adrenaline when we preach or even as I'm on adrenaline right now. I used to, as I was losing weight, I would have a tracker of my body heat index and my heart rate. This time right here is equivalent to me running or doing extreme weightlifting in the gym. I'm pumped right now. <laughs> How many have seen preachers like me preach before and you're like, man, those guys are pumped. Yes, man, I feel like right now I could wrestle a bear. In a few minutes I will wither back down. I will become a weak man, and I will have to recover with little mints in the back, little sugary treats, but right now, I'm high on adrenaline. We can't live for adrenaline. Sex with someone feels good for a season. Drugs feel good for a season. Being jealous and bitter, talking one to another on Facebook about people feels good for a season. All of these sins will reward you with a temporary pleasure, blinding you to their demise. And so what must we do as we get to this message? And I won't be very long by God's grace. What we must do is understand that God's love has to come in us, to us, and go now through us as a cycle of love. We need God to fill our love tank with his power and his presence, lest we be deceived. And that's why... Men who play with their balls, who really have it under control and know what it's about, will thank God for all their victories. And I thank God for those Super Bowl players who gave God the glory on the field and off the field. Go with me to John three sixteen, please. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. One young Christian said to his pastor, I've read the Bible, and the pastor said, that's amazing. What have you learned? Well, I've learned about Noah's Ark, and I've learned about the, the, the triumphs of David. I've learned about all these things. And then the pastor asked the young man, well, what about the love of God? What have you learned about that? And the young man said, oh, I, I, I know that God loves me. I, I believe it. And the pastor said back, "And everything that you do and everything that you read is the love of God. You have only touched a thimble. You see the stories, you see the triumphs, but you have no idea the love of God was behind every story and every tale and every victory and defeat. Go back and read it again through the eyes of God's love. The love of God is not just a portion of the Bible that you just kind of say, well, I understand that. The love of God starts within the beginning. God created heaven and earth. Why is this earth even here? Why are we here? It's the love of God. God made us for fellowship. Now, don't take this to the extreme like, God, was this lonely in heaven and he needed a pet called Adam to play with? No. God was there with the Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect triunity with themselves, the perfect family of Father, Son, and Spirit. He was not lonely. He didn't have any lack of relationship because it was in the triune relationship that they had. But notice this. Out of that love came the love for humanity, the love for the angels. The love for the creatures of heaven that we always want to talk about, these six-winged creatures that are covered in eyes. Has anybody seen the AI version of that? It's like we think angels look like this, and it shows like some little naked baby like your grandma, your has in her bathroom, you know. And then it shows, but this is how it's described. And it's like. It's like no wonder they're scared of these creatures. But it's God's love that he made the seahorse. How many know that's a weird-looking creature? It's because of God's love that he made a giraffe. God likes giraffes. Don't tell me God's not an artist. Have you ever seen all that God makes? God paints the sky for us to see. God gives us the beauty of the stars, the beauty of his creation. There are people, smart people, smarter than I ever could be, who are spending their whole life to try to understand one insect that God made, one portion of God's creation. They're giving their entire intelligence to that thing. Because the wonder of God is even found in an ant, isn't it? The wonder of God is seen in the bees. The wonder of God is seen in all creation. But where is his greatest love shown? In his love for humanity. So when we did sin, when we did break covenant, when we did deserve death, what does he offer to us? His one and only son. And we don't know what the conversation in heaven is like. By the way, if you want to know what moronism—I mean Mormonism—is about, it's really about a false prophet trying to tell you stories the Bible doesn't. And I and I think uh, we have better writers than that. Okay, so his is just a bad fictional tale of what happens. But everyone wonders how did this go down? What is it? What is it like for the father and son to talk? You know, they're in eternity. They have no needs, and then they make us, and they're watching us throw this all away. Literally put it back into the devil's hands. Like, they're, they're watching us throw this away. At this moment, what is their thought process? I don't know, but I can give you what I think what it would be like. But don't call it a scripture, okay? Don't call it now another testament of Jesus Christ, the book of Moron. I mean the book of Mormon. Are you listening to me? I love, I love morons, amen, and I love fools. I may have been a fool before, but in a different way. And if you're a Mormon here today, we love you. Repent of your foolishness. But seriously, I could understand something like this. The Father and the Son now deciding, do we destroy them? Or do we redeem them? Because God could have hit reset at that moment. Next, there goes Adam and Eve to hell. Let's try the next one. And then seriously, he could have gotten bored with humans and said, now let's give Avatar, let's give the Navoo people, let's give these green folks a shot. How many know what I'm talking about? I mean, he could have said, now let's give the seraphim a shot. Let's put some six-winged creatures down here in a garden. Let's see how they do. And yet God in the infinitude of his wisdom and love, I believe, saw the beginning from the end and understood it doesn't matter what creature I put here, with a free will, eventually they will disappoint us. And so then others blame God. Well, why did he give us a free will? Number one, for you to even ask that question means that God gave you a free will, so what do you have to complain about? Because if you didn't have a free will, you wouldn't be complaining. You would just be a robot programmed to think whatever he wanted you to think. So before you start shaking a fist at God, I'm so angry at God. I'm so angry at God. I'm angry because he gave me the choice to be angry. And he actually lets me be angry. And I'm still not here struck by lightning. Maybe he's not the one that I think he is. Maybe I should be angry at the devil. Hello, somebody. The very fact you feel anger shows that you have a will to choose. So here in the garden... What I think the father and son are discussing is that which is now dependent upon their love. Well, what did we make them for to begin with? Well, we made them for love. Well, then the cost, I could see the father saying, this is the son. Of course, they don't learn anything but track with me here, but I could see them talking in this way. The father could say to the son, well, the cost of us giving them love and the choice to love is our broken heart. That is the price we must pay. Because some will choose us and some will not choose us. Now, do we let them remain in their own damnation or do we redeem them? That's what John 3.16 is saying from the very beginning. That when they send, God speaks to them and says to the serpent, you will be crushed by this woman's offspring. He will crush your heel, but you will sting his foot. Does everybody remember that prophecy? In Genesis, just put it up there, please. Genesis 3.15 into 16, John 3.16. It's the fulfillment of John 3.15 and 16. It's all been covered here from the very beginning. God is recognizing the cost of his love for us, which is his son going to a cross. Does everybody get that? Does everybody get the immense love? Can I hear amen to this? I will put enmity between you and the woman talking to the serpent between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head. He will strike your heel. That's at the beginning of our book. The battle of good and evil will be won by Jesus Christ crushing the devil. But what will happen in the meantime? There will be pain from generation to generation, starting from when you come out the womb, not laughing but crying as your mother screaming in pain. Does everybody understand that? Pain will be what you will face in this world. Domination. You will face it. That's why when you get to Cain and Abel, the very first children of those, uh, that, that couple, even the, the historians say that, that Eve might have thought that this was the redemption. Already she had given birth to the Messiah. She didn't know. I mean, her offspring crushes the serpent. I just had an offspring. Go ahead and crush them. But he then gets murdered by his brother. Talk about your hope being crushed. You're thinking, this will now make up for what I did. My child is going to go find that old devil, that serpent, and go crush him. But no, he gets killed by his jealous brother, as we just learned today in the scriptures. Pain, murder, jealousy now comes through humanity. But where is Jesus? Where is the God of love? Right there, speaking to Cain. Cain, sin wants to have mastery over you, but don't allow it. And But what does Cain do? Cain chooses the way of sin. Go through the stories of the Bible, and then you get to Abraham. Remember this young man with the pastor. Remember this story. It's not just God loves me somewhere. The whole book is of God's love. Go back and reread it and see if you can find it on every page. God then says to Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of nations, but hey, you're going to have to wait till your geriatrics, you know, uh, over here in the old folks' home at 100 years old, but you're going to have a child. 25 years later, he has a child, and what does God say to him? Kill it. And then all the psychotic people go, yay, that's why we like to murder children in abortion clinics because God's the first abortionist. No, they are demonic in that presentation. They don't understand. God was never going to allow the murder of the child, but he wanted someone on this earth to feel what he feels because he's giving up his son. And then he finds Abraham willing to do it, and God stays the hand and shows him a ram in the thicket a male lamb, and then lets that become the sacrifice. And then as you see throughout the Bible, sacrifice is a part of their rituals. Are they doing that just because they want to eat out of cheddar? They just want to eat meat? Are they just burning up and crucifying, uh, killing animals because they just God just wants them to have a butcher shop in the temple? No, it's because God wants them to see every single sin equals death, and your blood should be flowing through this earth. You violated my heart. You broke my commands. You didn't love me. And this is what lackless love looks like for God. It looks like death. Sometimes people think God is so insecure in heaven, like he's that person on one of those reality shows like American Idol, that he needs your vote as you've seen them present their, their pitiful request to the people, please vote for me, please, please, please vote for me, vote for me. Like people think God is like that, please love me, I'm alone up here, please love me, Please, that's not God. God is saying you need to love me or you get your blood spilled. You need to love me or you turn to death. You have an incurable cancer running through all of your veins and trying to help one another is like giving blood transfusions from aid patient to aid patient to aid patients. You're all going to die in your disease. And God is showing us through these innocent animals, this is what it looks like. And Abraham is one of my friends, the Bible says, because he understands what it's like to give up a son because that's what I'll be doing for you. For God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. You go through then Moses and all of the sacrifices and the people just begin to use it and abuse it that by the time you get to Samuel, one of the great priests of the Bible, his children are just sitting in front of the place where they would give animals and would just be like, I want that one, I want that one. Yeah, God forgives you, go about your business and they were just eating it for themselves just so that they could manipulate the system. Give me more meat. I'm hungry. And then you see all these greedy pastors. Give me more money so I can have a Bentley. It's the same sin of greed. Are you listening to me? And the people who do it feed into that because at least now they have a clear conscience because that's what the priest said and I'm not going to argue with it. Don't listen to anybody above the word of God. Your soul depends on it. Can I hear an amen? And so now you see Samuel. And you see these priests, or Eli, rather, the priest. I I said Samuel, he was a prophet. Eli, the priest, rather. Thank you, Lord. Loses his two children to this, and then God raises up Samuel. And Samuel now takes the place. And then God uses Samuel to anoint David, who is a king after God's heart. Are you all tracking with me? Who becomes the second king in Israel's history. And this is the one. That Jesus is known as. The son of David. How many have heard that title for Jesus? The son of David. This is that great king. How many have heard of David and Goliath? But what does this king even do? This great king. What does he do? He breaks the heart of God by having an adulterous affair with Uriah's wife. And then becomes a murderer. What do you think that did to the heart of God? Put up Psalm 51 please. Here God has been waiting for millennia to produce his plan. And yet every time... We see human intervention into the plan. It's nothing but death and destruction. Not saying that God didn't know this, but you see, here comes Abel, but then Cain comes and kills Abel. You see God begin to call the prophets and the leaders, and yet their children begin to walk away from God. Noah's descendants uncover his nakedness. Abraham's descendants become sinful and schemers. David becomes an adulterer himself and has to cry out to God for forgiveness. His son becomes a a, a polygamist. He loses the kingdom to his two children's division. The curse of God comes upon Israel to where the prophets now have to speak judgment and judgment. And yet we wait here for the Messiah. But hear the heart of David in the midst of this. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing what? The young man said to the preacher, oh, I just, I read a verse or two that said God is love. No, no, you didn't read the Bible right then. The only reason why David wasn't struck down is because God was showing his love through flawed humanity. Do you understand this, brothers and sisters? I said, do you understand it? The only way we make it through this is by loving God with everything we have and recognizing that it was his love that gave it to us to begin with. That's the only way. Go to Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 7. As the prophets begin to speak to the people, they begin to share with them the heart of God. Verse uh, 31, chapter 31, verse 3 of Jeremiah. We see that the people of God need to be reminded. The Lord appeared to us in the past, and this is what he said. Think about this. Here's the prophet Jeremiah about ready to watch the destruction, and then the Messiah is going to come through Jesus, right? But right before all of this goes down, look at what Jeremiah says to them. Remember what God said to us in the past. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. Think about that. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Cain and Abel. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Noah. I have loved you with an everlasting love, Abraham. I have loved you with an everlasting love, David, Solomon, Eli, Samuel. I have loved you with an everlasting love, backsliders of Israel. Now, what do we do with that? Jesus comes in the flesh, right? He's incarnated for us, incarnate. He comes in flesh. And what do we do to the God of love? What does humanity do, brothers and sisters? Easter's coming up. What do we do? Come on, like half the people on this side of the room and no one on this side of the room knows it. The answer is crucify. But how about we all say it together. What does humanity do to the God of love? Crucify him. What if God was one of us? You ever heard that song? Just a slug like one of What would we do? What would we do if God was like one of us? Look at what we did to Jesus. We put him right on a cross and said, that's where you belong. And every day, I want you to get this, when we sin, it's like we re-crucify Jesus. Well, come and pray. Come read your Bible. No, Jesus. I don't want to read my Bible. I want to be on TikTok. You stay right here, Jesus. I got my life under control. That's what crucifixion looks like to Jesus. Here I come, OnlyFans. Here I come, greed. Here I come, selfish ambition on my job. And we crucify the Lord over again. We put him on that cross. Have I done it? Absolutely. But it's miserable. It's disgusting. It's not what we're called to. What we're called to is the relationship of love. So after they put him on the cross, what does Jesus say to his enemies? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is my Jesus. My Jesus loved even his enemies unto death. You think it's one thing to love your enemy when we're in front of an abortion clinic or your coworker who's trying to get you fired. It's another thing to love them while they're crucifying your son in front of you. No one can understand this kind of love without God opening up their heart to it. It's a supernatural love that is beyond all understanding. It is beyond all comprehension. It is the very fabric of the universe. It is the very uh, the very nature of why we feel what we feel. This is the foundation for all other morals. This is why we know when someone steps on our toe on the bus and doesn't say, I'm sorry, we know it's wrong, or when they cut us off in traffic, to when someone cheats on us, to molesting of a child, to whatever extreme you want to use on the scale of injustice, what moves this is love or the lack thereof and the love that we're talking about is the love found in God and he's calling us to that love is he not I said God is calling us to that love is he not amen as Daryl comes quickly please go to 1 John chapter 4 verse 9 and onward by God's grace we'll continue this next week how many are learning something today being encouraged oh to God that we would love him with all of our heart, soul, mind and strength that we would take a hold of his love and not waste it on ourselves. wasted on these things. Now, can you still love the kinds of things you talk about in a sense? Yeah, you can. But you don't love them for nine, brother. You don't love them with the same intensity and the same fulfillment as you have towards God. God is first. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, please. You love God with what comes first. 1 John chapter 4, starting at verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, that we loved God. Uh, rather, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. God loved us when we did not love God. Help me, Jesus. That will break me down right now. When all of us went astray, when all of us turned our backs on him in our own way, he still loved us. For anyone now to say, I can't love God because I'm a dude and it doesn't come natural, does not understand that God's love in you will help you to love him. Anybody here that says, I have been broken so hard in life. Been, I've had my heart split in pieces. I can't ever love God, doesn't understand he's the one that heals the heart, puts it together so you can present it back to him. There is no excuse that we could ever say that we could not give him back the love that he gave us. It is literally our choice then to rebel. I used to take uh, members of the church on a kayak with me down the Fox River. You know when it was uh, the easiest for them? When we're going downstream. And I would always tell them, let's save our energy and not go too far. No, pastor, let's keep going. I'm like, you have no idea how hard it's going to be coming back. But even the strongest of men, no, I got it, dude. I got it. Let's go a little bit further. Okay. And I'm just like preserving myself as they're just. And it looks easy, man. We would go do our little thing. We would turn around. And at first, I wouldn't paddle. I would let them feel feel it. Oh, Lord. It's because they're now going upstream. And I'm like, okay, I told you this. We're going to be here for a while. You go about two or three times faster that way than you go the other way. Do you know that the world tries to convince us that going with the flow is the easier thing? When down deep inside, they know it's not. That's why they're on all these psychotropic drugs Because they can find no rest for their soul. There is no rest for the wicked, the Bible says. They are working so hard at their goat yoga and their, you know, the hot yoga classes. They are trying so hard to get that 401k. They want to retire and they can't figure it out why it's not working. And on the inside, they are empty. And yet, some of you are afraid. trust God because of how immensely difficult it is in the flesh but you're not understanding you're in the kayak of God just going downstream how many have felt what it's like to go downstream with Jesus you're just chilling with the Lord problems come and then the problems go last year at this time I was burying one of my best friends But I didn't get stressed out. I didn't lose my mind, need to take some Prozac. I just row, row, row your boat gently down the street. Did I cry? Absolutely. I lost it in the funeral service. I I was on my knees. I couldn't stand, I buckled and I was weeping. But every tear that came out my eye, I could just hear God say, "I I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you, I got you. Every time I felt that dagger hit my soul, I could hear ching, ching. I could feel the shield of faith coming. How many know what I'm talking about? Every moment of that pain, I felt the the hand of God doing what I never could. I'm not saying we won't face trials and pains in life. But you do it going in the flow of God's love. You do it knowing that God loves you, never leaving you, never forsaking you. And when you look back at your life, people will say, like my sister said, when we lost my other sister drinking and driving, and she came drunk to my hotel room as we were getting ready for the funeral the next day, and she knows I used to do drugs with her, and she's like, how are you not losing your mind right now? Jenny is dead. And I'm like, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm giving God my life, sister. I'm giving him the kingdom. It's all his. I'm asking him to come on earth as he is in heaven. And I would ask her to pray with me. And she would say, no, I'm going back to drink. I'm going back. I'm going back to my weed. I'm going back. And and, and I'm going to struggle through this. And I'm saying, and it sounds cheesy, but it's so real. I'm saying back to her, let go and let God. Let go and let God. From the beginning to the end, it's all been God, and it's all been His love. Through Jesus Christ, He's walked with us through all of our pains and all of our struggles. You're not the first one, brother or sister, to question His love. There's a whole book dedicated called the Book of Job, but at the end of his life, he got double for his trouble. If you believe God's love is going to see you through and help you to love Him back with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, would you stand up with me today? Come on, would you give Him a shout of praise, a hand clap of gratitude. Hallelujah. We love you, Jesus.